fact, this morning, I'm excited, we're starting a new series called Nehemiah. Uh, how many of you, just by show of hands real quick, how many of you have actually studied the book of Nehemiah? Just show me your hands real quick. Good, good. If you haven't, don't worry, we're going to do that. We're going to help you with that this week, and hopefully you get a little taste today, and it makes you want to go home this week and study the book of Nehemiah. It's not a very big book. Um, it's actually sandwiched in between the book of Ezra and the book of Esther. So if you're looking for it and you want to turn there right now, just, just go to Nehemiah. We're going to start in chapter 1. <clears throat> so while you're turning there, I just want to share some of my goals for today. One of the goals for today is just to give you an overall view of Nehemiah and what Nehemiah did and how God called Nehemiah and how Nehemiah responded. And I want to give you an overall look so that in the next two weeks, we can go into a little more detail about Nehemiah and what he actually did. And so I want you to see that Nehemiah was driven by a burden to live beyond himself. You need to see this. Nehemiah has been written about in many books as a leadership type of book, uh, how to be a great leader, how to, how to do things, a visionary kind of guy. And so those things are great. But what I want you to see today is that Nehemiah was driven by a burden. It was the burden that Nehemiah got that drove him into action and to do what he actually did for the kingdom of God. And so I want you to see that. And so it's, it's one of my beliefs today that I believe most of us are anxious to do what God wants us to do. I think most of us want to do what God wants us to do. I think maybe the problem is, is that we're lacking something, and I think that something is a burden. Because you can want to all day long, but until you got a burden, that's what moves you into action. Until you start weeping over something and something gets you in your core and it starts getting on the inside of you and it messes you up, you better watch out. Right? So maybe, maybe the problem with the church today is that we're just missing the burden. Can it really be that simple that we're just missing a burden. I think it can be. And I want to show that to you in Nehemiah as we get ready to study Nehemiah. And so I want to just give you a few tidbits of, about Nehemiah. Nehemiah, uh, during the time of the book, the book being written, and during th this time, Nehemiah finds himself scattered with the rest of the children of Israel. Uh, the, the children of Israel, the Jews, are no longer a divided kingdom. They are now scattered. They're all over the place. The Bible has a term for this called exile. They are in exile. They're scattered all over the place. There's no order, no structure. There's no, no, no standard. The people are just everywhere, and it's chaos, and they're hurting. And that's where we pick this story up. And they're in a place. So think about this. All the Jews are scattered. And so in the Old Testament, if you ever study the Old Testament, and I encourage you to study the Old Testament carefully but when you study the old testament you're going to see a reoccurring theme in the old testament and it's this that god is constantly trying to get next to his people and show himself to the rest of the world through his people the jews but the jews are constantly being scattered distracted and finding themselves in a ditch you ever found yourself in a ditch before ever had to call god to come get you out of the ditch anybody one of y'all two of y'all Three, four, okay, y'all getting honest as we go. 
So the children of Israel, the Jews, find themselves, they, they, they come back to God. God rescues them from their, their position, their ditch. And then he, so they get close to him, and then they get distracted, and then they get scattered, and then they end up back in the ditch. That's the, that's the reoccurring theme of the Old Testament. And it's funny, but it seems to me like it hadn't stopped. Because I know in my own personal life, there's days I feel like I'm in the throne room of God. Come on, somebody. And then two days later, I feel like I'm at the gates of hell. (laughs) Anybody ever been that way? It's like, man, how can you go from being in the glory land to the gory land? Come on. But it happens, and it has a lot to do with me getting distracted and, and off course. <clears throat> so we pick the story up and God's, God's wanting to bring his people back together you got to know this that God doesn't like us and doesn't want us to be distracted and scattered you got to know this it breaks his heart you remember the Bible says God's a jealous God he doesn't want you spending time with other gods right he doesn't want you scattered Just like you don't want your kids fighting with each other and scattered and mad at each other and they go to their own rooms. You don't like that, right? I mean, it does get quiet for a little while, but you know what I'm saying. But overall, you don't like that. You want them to what? You want them to get along, right? You want them to like to be with each other and you want them to like to be with you. (laughs) At least you should. So God's wanting to bring his people back together, but they're scattered. So Nehemiah finds itself in modern day Iraq. That's where, it, that's where it takes place at. At the time, it's the Persian Empire. And Nehemiah has an interesting job. He's a cupbearer. <laughs> He's a cupbearer. So, well, Pastor, what's a cupbearer? I, I don't blame you for asking that question. There's not, there's not too many cupbearers today. A cupbearer was a person who was next to the king or somebody who was very important. And they would drink and eat anything that the king or the important person was going to drink or eat before they did to make sure that there was no poison in it. Okay, so when you hear the word cupbearer, you can you can relate it to our modern word secret service. Because seriously, Nehemiah was the last line of defense to the king because they didn't have bombs in those days. They didn't have long range guns and all these other things. They would get to you by poisoning you. Come on. And so he was a cupbearer and you don't hear about many cupbearers anymore. And I just want to let you in on something. I'm actually a cupbearer. I don't know if you realize that. I'm a cupbearer. I am. Fridays when I go pick my kids up from school, we always treat them to McDonald's. And we go through the drive through line, and their cups come in front of me of ice cream. And I bear them. You got to check them for poison. You got to make sure that the ice cream's not sour, right? I'm come, do you love your kids or not? I mean, come on, so I bear every cup that passes in front of me. My kids will testify. I'm a cupbearer. I encourage you to be a cupbearer. It's a fun thing. You never know. Come on, son. You never know what's in the food today. (laughs) So Nehemiah has a good thing going on. Think about this. The children of Israel, the Jews are scattered. They're all over the place. Some of them are starving to death. They're in a bad spot. Nehemiah finds himself in the palace with the king. Think about this. If your most important person is your cupbearer, how close do you keep your cupbearer? 
may you keep him close. Because every time you go to drink, he drinks first. Every time you go to eat, he eats first. So Nehemiah ate what the king ate. He drank what the king drank. He hung out with the king's people. He lived with the king. Nehemiah's got it going on. He's not scattered. I mean, he's doing good, right? And some of us find ourselves in that place today where your job is great. People are most people actually like you, and, and you, you've got it going on. And I, I'm glad that you're there, and I just want to warn you to watch out because there's a burden coming. So life is good for Nehemiah. Even though the majority of the Israelites are suffering, he's doing just fine. And it seems to me when you read the book of Nehemiah that he's unaware of the condition of his people. It's like he's clueless to what's going on in the outside world. Now, if you were really honest this morning, I bet all of you could probably say, Pastor, there's times that I just get clueless and I get so busy and so stirred up and life is so crazy that I forget about the hurting people all around me. You know, Pastor, sometimes I don't even see it. I'm just so wrapped up in my job, wrapped up in my world, that I don't see what's going on around me. But Nehemiah's got it going on. Life is good, wouldn't you say? I mean, yeah, he's got to drink stuff that could kill him, but I mean, still, he's doing good. Go with me to Nehemiah chapter 1. We're going to start in verse 2. Nehemiah's got it going on until... He asked a question. Be careful what you ask, okay? Verse 2. Hanani, one of my brothers, came to visit me with some other men who had just arrived from Judah. I asked them about the Jews who had returned from captivity and about how things were going in Jerusalem. They said to me, things are not going well for those who returned to the province of Judah. They are in great trouble and disgrace. The walls of Jerusalem or the wall of Jerusalem has been torn down and the gates have been destroyed by fire. So these guys come, his brother comes, bring some buddies with him. They come to the palace where Nehemiah is and they're hanging out. And you come on, you know how it is. How's mom and them doing? That's how we do it down here, right? How you mom and them? I didn't learn that till I I started dating Cheryl and I went to Fenton and they had a guy that walked around Fenton and every time he saw you, he said, how you mom and them? Thinking, how's this dude know my mom? But it's just something they did. So he was just a, a, a simple question. How's our people doing? Have you ever done that? Have you ever asked a question and you got an answer that you wasn't ready for? I mean, seriously, like, have you ever said, man, how's T-Boy doing? And then you find out T-Boy's on his deathbed. And now all of a sudden you got to do something about it, right? You wasn't expecting that. You were just checking in on T-Boy. How's our people doing since they got out of captivity? Not good. Not good at all. In fact, the wall has been torn down in Jerusalem and the gates are burned. Our people are in trouble, Nehemiah. I bet Nehemiah didn't wake up that morning expecting to have this encounter like he did. But watch Nehemiah's response in verse 4. He says, when I heard this, I sat down and wept. In fact... For days I mourned, fasted, and prayed to the God of heaven. Wow. Think about that. You got to get this. One minute, he's in the palace. Got everything going for him. Life is good. He's living in the good times. 
And all of a sudden, he hears some information. He gets an answer from a question that your people aren't doing good. And it's not like he was a king. It's not like he was a ruler over the Jews. He was a Jew himself, just a normal, everyday person. And he hears about his people, and the Bible says it compelled him to sit down. Why did he sit down? You know why? Because he lost strength in his legs because he was moved by what he heard. It had to, he had to sit. You got to get this. It swept him off of his feet. Now, the first time Cheryl saw me, she had to sit. She was swept off of her feet. She was moved. <laughs> but he was moved to sit. And he started weeping, the Bible says. He says, and in fact, just to make the record straight, for days I mourned and I fasted and I prayed to the God of heaven. For days. I mean, we see movies sometimes and we get a little emotional, teary-eyed. Maybe watch a true story on 2020 or something and you, you get emotional and you're moved for about 30 seconds until everybody sees you crying and you dry it up. But Nehemiah was shaken for days. I mean, this moved him. You got to get this. It moved him. It touched him deep inside of his core. His life had stopped. When was the last time you were moved to emotion like that? When was the last time you were brought to your seat crying over something somebody told you or something somebody said or something that God showed you? When was the last time it moved you to emotion to actually cry about something? Come on, man. When's the last time you cried about somebody else? And what is it that gets you to the core? What's the, what's the thing that gets you? Is it, is it maybe battered women? Is it maybe a, a, abortion? Is it maybe, um, maybe it's those that are addicted to, to drugs and alcohol? What is it that moves you? Is it people that are hurt and wounded? Is it, is it maybe it's new believers that are, are trying to grow in Christ and you just want to help them. And it moves you to the core to see the, the little Christians Grow up. What is it that moves you? What is it that gets you right here? Because I want to tell you something. The reason I'm asking that question is because whatever it is that gets you right here and it moves you with emotions, that's what you're called to. You don't need to wonder anymore what you're called to. You just need to follow your emotions. If it's a homeless kid that moves you, then you're called to that. Come on. I want you to know it's okay to not know what your burden is. It's okay to not know what it is. It's just not okay to stay that way. Amen? It's okay because I, I didn't get it right away. Listen, we, we came to Eunice, Cheryl and I and my family. We came to Eunice because we were sent. We, I, I'll just be real with you. We came out of obedience. I didn't lose anything in Eunice. 
just being real, just being honest. I came, my pastor sat me down at lunch and he said, I want you to go to Eunice and pastor the church. I was like, dang, okay. He said, you can pray about it if you want, but I already prayed. I said, like, okay, can I tell my wife first? He's, yeah, you can tell your wife. And we did, we started coming and I'll be honest with you, the first three years I was still running my company and trying to pastor the church and I was running on obedience. There was no burden. There was no passion. I didn't cry over anybody. I was just trying to figure out what in the heck's going on. Just being obedient, just coming through the, the, the everyday thing, just get here on Sundays and Wednesdays and call people when they're hurting. If you don't see them, call them. I'm just doing my thing. And about two years ago, I got a burden. I got a burden for this place. And it's not just Eunice. It's the surrounding areas of Eunice. It goes to Oberlin. It goes to Lautel, down to Crowley, Iota, Basio, Kinder. I got a burden for these people. God gave me that burden. I just didn't wake up and it magically happened. I realized I didn't have a burden. I said, God, what am I here for? He said, I'm going to show you what you're here for. I shared with you a couple months ago that I woke up one morning with a word. Not a word word, but a single word. I woke up. I'd been dreaming. Woke up in the morning and the word more was in my spirit. I was like, what do you mean, God, more? I mean, what, what more do you want me to give, Lord? He said, Jamie, just more. I want to see more hurt people healed. I want to see more chained up people delivered and set free. I want to see more people come to Christ and know me. I want to see more. I want more. And that's what his word was for me is I want to see more. And can I tell you something? That's what's been happening. And you can testify, most of you here have come here because you've been wounded or hurt by another church or another person or something that happened to you at some point in your life. We all walked in here broken and wounded, right? And God's not going to stop sending them. He said, son, I want more. I said, okay. So I want to tell you about a little lie that Christians believe. It's a simple lie. And I know it's a lie because I believed it myself. You see, when you see a story like Nehemiah or you hear a preaching or a message on somebody like Nehemiah, if you're like I was, your mind automatically goes to, well, yeah, but Nehemiah was a special person. Nehemiah must have been, you know, like spiritual. You know, Nehemiah must have read his Bible every day. Maybe Nehemiah was a pastor. And so you get into this lie type of thinking that these great works of God are only reserved for the super spiritual. And then, well, that's the pastor's job. That's the leader's job. That's the super spiritual's job. That's not me. I'm just a cupbearer. I might be drinking poison tomorrow. I'm just a normal person. Those things aren't for me. I'm not supposed to have a burden. That's a lie from the pit of hell. You see that? Have you ever thought that way? (laughs) It's one of my goals in life is to convince you otherwise. (laughs) Because it ain't just for me. 
Because before I ever had pastor on my name, I had a burden. I had a burden for men long before I became a pastor. It's for the everyday person. The Bible doesn't tell us that Nehemiah had any special skills or abilities. Doesn't tell us that he went to seminary. Doesn't tell us that he was super spiritual. In fact, it says nothing about him other than that he was a cupbearer and a Jew. And Nehemiah was called with a burden to go and do what God wanted him to do. Are you getting this so far? You're awfully quiet. It must be good. I'm just going to believe it's good. So Nehemiah gets this burden from God. He weeps over it for days and he mourns and he fasts and he prays. You see, that's what you got to do when you get a burden from God is you don't need to just shuck it to the side and, and juke it. Y'all saw that? See, if your head was down, you missed that. I just juke. Big white man juke. That's, you, you don't just step aside and sidestep a burden from God because that's what we can get in the habit of doing, right? He starts to move on our heart about something or some person or some group of people. And if we're not careful, we'll just kind of sidestep and say, oh, me on my, pass me on by. Go on, Lord, get it to somebody else. Next. Right? And we'll give it to somebody else. And we'll say, God, you're going to raise somebody else up because I don't want to do that. Lord, you know I'm busy. Come on, God. I got a thing I got to do at work, Lord. I, I don't have time for a burden. But when you get a burden, you need to pray about it. You need to fast about it. You need to seek God about it. The Bible says for days he did that. And it didn't happen right away. Watch what it says. He, he makes a plan to go to the king, and I'm sure he was nervous. Chapter 2, verse 1, it says this, early the following spring, not the next morning, the following spring, he carried his burden for a little while. In the month of Nisan, during the 20th year of the king of King Xerxes' reign, I was serving the king his wine. I never before appeared sad in his presence. So the king asked me, why are you looking so sad? You don't look sick to me. You must be deeply troubled. Then I was terrified, but I replied, long live the king. How can I not be sad? For the city where my ancestors are buried is in ruins, and the gates have been destroyed by fire. The king asked, well, how can I help you? And with a prayer to God, to the God of heaven, I replied, if it pleases the king, and if you are pleased with me, your servant, Send me to Judah to rebuild the city where my ancestors are buried. Nehemiah had to step out. You know why it was such a big deal for Nehemiah to ask? Because cupbearers don't come every day. Trustworthy people don't come every day. Some of you have had great business partners. You've had great friends that are trustworthy. You can give them the most intimate secrets of your life and you know that it's secure and safe. Those people don't come every day. He was asking for the king to let his secret service go and rebuild the city. And he was nervous. But he stepped out and he did it anyway. Shaking in his boots. I want to tell you something this morning. If you walk with Christ long enough and if you'll just listen long enough, you're going to have a Nehemiah experience. God's going to lay a burden on your heart because let me tell you something, with every purpose and with every person that's created, there's a handmade burden to go along with that. 
God didn't design you and create you just to come live gloriously on this earth without any burdens or without anything that's ever going to upset you or without anything that ever needed to be fixed. When he created you, he created you for this burden. Come on, you are called to meet somebody's need. You are called to live beyond yourself and to help somebody else. I think the biggest sign of maturity as a Christian is when we live beyond ourselves. When we start looking out for other people's interests instead of our own. Come on. You got to get this. It's when you start, you start living, breathing, and, and drinking, and thinking, and sleeping, or not sleeping about other people. Not yourself. You see, you got to get past yourself. Sometimes the only way you get past yourself is when you step out past yourself. (laughs) Sometimes you just got to get away from yourself. (laughs) You ever get tired of yourself? You ever get tired of your own junk? You ever get tired of your own drama? Come on. What I love about fishing. I just get to go outside, get in a boat, get on the water and try to catch something else. Forget about my drama. <laughs> I guess sometimes I just got to get away from myself. And the way you do that is by stepping past yourself and starting to help other people. But you'll never know that if you never step. Boy, let me tell you something from experience. Some of the greatest fulfillment you ever find is when you step and live beyond yourself and you start to live for other people and you start getting concerned and worried about other people instead of yourself and you start meeting needs and you see people crying because things happened. When we did that silly little Coke pass out the other day, I handed a lady a Coke and I just gave her a big smile. I said, good morning, happy Easter. I said, I just want to give you a Coke and an invitation to church. I hope I see you there. The light was still red. I moved on to somebody else. And when she came passing by, she was in tears. Over a Coke. Maybe somebody never or nobody ever gave her something for free with no strings attached. Maybe maybe it's been a long time since somebody looked at her with a little bit of love in their eyes and said, good morning. Happy Easter. It's good to see you this morning. You never know. What you'll find when you live beyond yourself. Nehemiah had no idea what was coming after his burden. He had no idea what he was going to accomplish. He had no idea the miracles he was going to see and the things that were going to happen. And we're going to talk about that over the next couple of weeks. He had no clue how fast it was going to be done. He had no clue of the opposition he was going to face. You see, sometimes we're foolish enough to believe that if God gives us a burden, then the birds are going to sing and the trees are going to sway the whole time and everything's going to be lovely. Wrong. That's when you're living for yourself. When you get a God burden that's bigger than you, you need to expect opposition because it's coming. So the story of Nehemiah is a bigger story of God. Nehemiah is the story of Jesus. He leaves the palace, the place of comfort, the place where he's got it going on. To go and take care of his father's business. Jesus left the kingdom to come to earth and to deal with man's sin. To deal with our condition. The Old Testament is constantly preaching about Jesus. When you read it, you need to see it. Here's a good thing you might want to write down. The sacrifices of ordinary men always set the stage for the bigger story of God. 
The sacrifices of ordinary men always set the stage for the bigger story of God. Isn't that true? You never know what's on the other side of your obedience. You never know what's on the other side of you stepping out. You never know who you're going to meet or where you're going to go or what's going to happen when you step out. Man, I'm just looking for a church that's hungry to experience something with God. Can I just be honest with you? I'm praying for us to get unsatisfied with where we are and step out and do something like we've never done before. I'm praying to God for an abnormal church with abnormal people that'll step out and do something different. The definition of insanity is doing something the same time, the same way over and over and over again, expecting different results. We got to do something different. Amen. We got to live beyond ourselves. I'm just looking for a church that might get a little crazy. That's how I'm praying for you and for myself. So Nehemiah points to Jesus, and I believe Nehemiah points to us. So you may ask me, Pastor, what does Nehemiah have to do with me and my family and our church family and the REACH campaign and all these other things we're doing? You know, what does it have to do with planting more churches? What, what, what's all this about, Pastor? Come on. You know how it is. Sometimes, okay, what you really selling? Let me give you the process of building beyond yourselves. That's all I want from you is just to build beyond yourself. I want you to live beyond yourself. That's the hook. That's the line. And that's the sinker. Live beyond yourself. How do we do that? There's a process. Number one, you become aware. At some point, you have to get past all the noise in this life and have a Nehemiah moment. For some of us, life is like living in a house with five toddlers. There's never a quiet moment. There's never peace. You can't think. You can't get your thoughts together. You can't even have a simple conversation. Some of you, that's how your life is. You're so busy with work. You're so busy with extracurricular activities. You're so busy with everything else that you're unaware that your next-door neighbor may be struggling over a divorce. Or maybe that your, 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 your co-student or another student in your school is cutting themselves because they're being bullied. You have no idea what's going on around you because you're unaware. You're unaware that the little girl down the street is being molested by somebody. You're unaware. You're unaware that somebody you know is getting ready to commit suicide. You're just unaware. Why are you unaware? Because you're so busy with yourself. Let me tell you one of the greatest lessons I'm learning in life. I wasn't put here to do a job like I thought I was. I wasn't put here to be a businessman. I wasn't put here to earn a living. I wasn't put here for that. That's not God's priority over my life. God's priority over my life is to be in relationship with him and to reach the people that don't know him and bring them to him. That's what I'm here for. And I'm glad I'm learning that lesson at 40 and not 80. Come on, somebody. Right? And I'm just trying to help you get that today. I just want you to become aware, aware that there's people next to you dying and going to hell unless you open your mouth, unless you step out beyond yourself, unless you live beyond yourself. 
We have a responsibility. That's what a burden is. It's a type of responsibility. It's a weight that you get from God and you get his heart and you start to feel what he feels. And you go, man, I just got to do something with this weight. I got to I can't sleep no more. I can't eat right. I can't do this and I can't do that. Why? Because I got this weight. It weighs on me. When I close my eyes, I just see, I see them. I can't stop. I can't shake it off. I can't get rid of it. You see, that's what happened to Nehemiah. He couldn't get rid of it. He had a burden for his people. Some point we got to get past ourselves. Because a God awareness is always about people. It's always about people. We're put on this planet for people. Come on, for people. You're in your neighborhood because there's somebody there that God wants you to reach. You're at that no good job you can't stand because there's somebody there that God wants you to reach. And here's a secret. As soon as you reach that person, God's got another job for you. You got to become aware of what's going on. I'm just trying to make you aware of what's going on around you. You know what God showed me? There's a lot of hurt people in Eunice. A lot of hurt people. There's wrecked people all over the place. And I believe that God's looking for a church that wants to deal with those people. A church that wants to reach out to those people and see them get healed and set free and delivered. To see them get a little life in their bones. Come on, somebody. To see them get on their way. You know, you've heard the statement that hurt people hurt people, right? Well, the opposite is true, too, that healed people heal people. So the first thing you got to do is become aware. The second thing you got to do is you got to get a burden. It's just simply a weight that you can't shake off. It affects you. It keeps you up at night. It gets you out of your normal. It consumes you. I want you to know something. I have a burden for you. I quit my job for you. I love you. When I go to bed at night, I'm thinking about you. When I get up in the morning, I'm thinking about you. How can I be a better pastor? How can I lead these people? How can we all get healed and then go out and heal other people? Come on. I dream about you. I pray about you. You are my business. Amen. I didn't, I didn't quit my job and do all these other things just to come here and be like any other church around here. And that, I'm not saying anything about that, but, but to be like any church that's dead. I don't want to just play Sunday church. Amen. It consumes you. So number, number one, you got to be aware. Number two, you get a burden. Number three, you move to action. And I believe that's where we're at today. I believe we're standing at point three. It says if we're at point three and we're going, all right, pastor. Because this is what you can say. Over the last couple of months, you've heard me preach about other people. I've been very specific about that. I've been preaching about reaching out to people. Witnessing to people. Sharing your faith, helping people, 
having a burden for people. So we're standing here today, and you know this full well, and with a clear conscience that that's where we're at. We're at point three right now where we got to move into action. We got to move into action. What does that mean to move into action? It means you got to do something like you've never done before. It means you need to see the world around you different than you did before. It means you need to pray and ask God to set you on fire. Maybe you need to pray and say, God, give me a burden. Lord, I don't know what my burden is. And listen to me, that's one of the most honest things you can do. And say, God, I just don't have a burden. (laughs) Oh, yeah? (laughs) Here you go. Been waiting to give this to you. Get you some of that. (laughs) Be careful what you ask for. I told you that already. So we're moved to action. And you you got to understand this. We don't work to earn. Just because as a church we start at point three and we start moving into action doesn't mean that Jesus is going to love you more. Doesn't mean that you're going to be a good person now. Come on, somebody. That's already been given to you by grace. Right? So you're not doing this to get Jesus' favor. You're not doing this to be a good little boy. You're doing this because you got a burden in your heart. And it's something you can't shake off and you got to do something about it. The only way to soothe a burden, it's like heartburn. The only way to soothe it is to put something in there. That antacid is action. I don't know if that made sense or not, but I had a bad case of heartburn the other night and I was just reminded. So we don't do this to earn. We've been given grace. And you need to write this down. Grace is not opposed to effort. You heard Pastor Bubba say this a couple weeks ago, that there's a big grace movement now. Churches are preaching grace like they've never preached grace before. And that's great, and I believe every bit of it. But let me tell you something about this kind of grace that's being preached today. This kind of grace that's being preached today is the kind of grace that makes Christians lazy. It's the kind of grace that says you can't do nothing, you can't strain, you can't sweat, you can't do this because God's going to do it all. Well, you got to get a clue because you are God's plan. And he has no other plan but then to use you. Amen? So grace is not opposed to effort. It is opposed to earning. You see, the problem with works and effort is that when you use it, To earn something from God, you're using it the wrong way. But God has clearly called us to give effort, to work. I'm going to show that to you in John chapter 4, verse 35 to 38. Watch what it says. You know the saying, four months between planting and harvest. But I say, wake up and look around. The fields are already ripe for harvest. The harvesters are paid good wages, and the fruit they harvest is people brought into eternal life. What joy awaits both the planter and the harvester alike? You know the saying, one plants and another harvest, and it's true. I sent you to harvest where you didn't plant. Others had already done the work, and now you will get to gather the harvest. We weren't the first church in Eunice. Many other good churches came through here and planted seeds years ago. And they've been planting seeds for a long time. And the joy is, is that we get to come in and harvest it. 
right? We get to bring it in. Well, you know what? We don't, we're not the only ones that get the credit for it. Somebody had to sow it so that we could harvest it, right? And, and Jesus says in John that we're going to all rejoice together because the harvest is people coming into eternal life. That's what we're here for. It takes effort. We've got to move into action. You've got to get beyond yourself. A burden will move you to action. It'll make you do something you've never done before. First Corinthians fifteen fifty eight says this. And I'm going to wrap it up here. It says, so my dear brothers and sisters, be strong and immovable. Always work. Yabbity, yabbity, yabbity. Always work enthusiastically for the Lord, for you know that nothing you do for the Lord is ever useless. You know what that says to me? That says to me that you can't mess up. You can't mess up living beyond yourself because anything that you do for the Lord is never done in vain. It's never done useless. It's never for nothing. Come on, somebody. You may accidentally get on somebody else's row and start harvesting their, their, their goods. That's okay. The harvest is still coming in, right? You may need to get back in your row and do your own harvesting. So what is he saying? He's saying we're going to have to work. What does that mean? We don't work to earn God's love. We work to bring in the harvest. We work to see dead people come alive. We work to see lost people be found. We work to see the hurt people be healed. The addicted people be set free. That's what we work for. That's why we pray. That's why we read our Bibles. That's why we get up in the morning and we go to work and we do a good job. And our eyes are always looking around. My football coach used to tell me when you play defense, you had to keep your head on a swivel. In other words, you got to always be looking around. The only way you ever stay aware is you got to look around. You got to see what's around you. Because I guarantee God has put people in your path. God has put people there that you were specifically designed to minister to. He will bring them there. He's court appointing them to us now. They're coming by the mandate of the courts. They got their community service. You got to go to church. God will bring them to you and they're already around you. We just need to move into action. So what's stopping us from doing that? Come on, let's just be real this morning. What's stopping you? What's stopping you from praying to God saying, God, give me a burden? What's stopping you from saying, God, let me feel what you feel? What's stopping you from stepping out once you understand what that is and just reaching out to somebody? What's really stopping you? The greatest experiences of your Christian life are just on the other side of that. An intimate knowledge of God is just on the other side of that. You're going to see a different side of God when you step out and you live beyond yourself. If you're bored with Christianity, then it's because you haven't stepped out lately. Maybe maybe you started living for yourself again. Maybe when you first fell in love with Jesus, it was all good. You wanted to tell everybody about it. But then a year later, eh. I don't know where you find yourself today. 
I just want to encourage you to step out. Some of the greatest things you'll ever experience are just on the other side. They're just on the other side. You know what my vision is for this church? Let me tell you what it looks like to me. This is where we're going. We're going to be a church that has to eventually go multiple services to, to meet all the needs of the people. And that's great, and that's all fine, and that's just more work. But you know what's going to happen inside this on Sundays? Is that you, you right here, you're going to come in, and instead of saying, hey, how, how you been? You been all right? Yeah, oh, yeah, everything's going good. The same old statements we make every Sunday. It's going to be, man, I ran into a guy this week. Lord Jesus, he was demon-possessed. I laid hands on that brother, and the demons went screaming. I'm telling you, man, in fact, he's coming to church. When you see, you're going to see he's been set free from demons. Maybe, maybe you're going to be coming in saying, you know what? This is so-and-so. She met Jesus this week. And we're going to, instead of just giving the old regular, how you been? I've been good. How you doing? Everything's fine. Everything's not ever fine. Right? So it's instead of that, we're going to be a church that brings people in that we've never seen before, that were broken, lost, or hurt. Come on, like trophies. Look, y'all, I won one. That's what I see. I see you getting out of yourself, getting out of the normal, and doing something radical. Doing something different. It may look like cutting your neighbor's grass. It may look like instead of complaining about all the trash in his yard, you go pick it up. Maybe it looks like buying little Johnny a new pair of pants for school because he ain't going to make it till May. Right? Maybe it's giving somebody a ride to work. I don't know what it looks like for you. But I'm telling you, there's people out there dying to meet you and dying to run into you. Amen? And we're called to live beyond ourselves. That's what we're called to do. It's written all over the book of Nehemiah. And so for the next couple of weeks, we're going to see how Nehemiah steps out. He gets permission from the king today. Next week, we're going to see how he steps out and he starts evaluating the situation around him. And I think that's something for us as believers that we got to start doing. we got to start evaluating the people around us. Not judging, but evaluating. Doing a little bit of inventory. Amen? So it's going to be an exciting series, and I'm very encouraged by it. And I'm glad to see what I see when I pray of what's going to happen in this church. I want it now. Can I just be honest with you? I want it now. Can you stand up with me this morning? I want to pray for you and for me. Lord Jesus, I come to you this morning. And I thank you for the burden you've placed on my heart. Lord, you've given me a burden to raise godly kids and to love my wife and to be a great man of God. But Lord, you've also given me a burden to reach others who are fatherless, 
Lord, you said it best, Jesus, when you said they're like sheep without a shepherd. They're unprotected, unguarded, uncared for. They're not led. They're just walking in wonder, just wandering around aimlessly. Lord, help us to see those people today. Let's start today, Lord. Can you open our eyes, Father, to see? Can you help us to become aware? Lord, can you give us a burden? And Lord, would you help us to move into action? To touch the world that you've given us. It's my responsibility, Lord. Help us to take responsibility for what you've given us. To be trustworthy. To be good stewards of what you've trusted us with. Lord, our co-workers and our our, our students and and Lord, our, our teachers and our Our bosses and employees and employers, they're all been given to us. You trusted us with with them, Lord. And Father, like you trusted Nehemiah to go and rebuild the city, you trusted him enough to give him a burden. Lord, give us a burden for the broken, the hurt, the lost, the wounded, the addicted, the molested, the fatherless. the undirected, Lord. For the ones that are wild, Lord. Give us a burden, Father. And Lord, I pray it's not a Pastor Jamie-led burden, Father. It's it's a God-given burden to every one of us. That, Lord, these 70, 80 adults in this room this morning would take on this burden, and, Lord, they would go and multiply themselves. We're going to reach other people. And Lord, I believe you for a miracle of growth, not for growth's sake, but for kingdom's sake. I'm believing you for church growth, Lord. I believe we're going to grow out of this building, not so I can go and brag to the other pastors that we're growing, so that, Father, hell will be depleted and heaven will be increased. And Lord, that, that healed people will walk in these doors, hurt people will walk in these doors and be healed. Lord, we'll see the captive set free. And Lord, we'll rejoice together as the harvest comes in, Lord. Help us, Father. Help us, Lord. Help us, Lord. God bless you, Father. Thank you that you cared enough about me to pull me out of the ditch. You rescued me, Lord, so that I could turn around and help rescue other people. Lord, I pray this place becomes like a trauma center, Lord. Thank you for the burden, Lord. Thank you for the burden. In Jesus' name.